0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy.
1: We
2: have many times heard at the beginning of a testimony, I was raised in a Christian home. Well, I too was raised in a Christian home. I was led by my parents to Christ at a young age. Having said that, my testimony will not necessarily be a salvation story, but a bit of my salvation story journey now. I live in this city, and I have for many years. I am single, and I live singly. And living in Manhattan, as you know, brings on many challenges and difficulties. In my life, I try to make sure I keep my eyes on Jesus. I try to make sure I stay in the word and talk to God. But I admit that sometimes I fail at being the kind of child of God I should be. I let all the sounds and sights get in the way. At times, I feel lonely and a bit at loose ends, and too often lean towards facing the world on my own. While my life is good and I am blessed, I will say that in recent months, life hasn't always been so good. Difficulties come. A few months ago, my father died, which wasn't a surprise as he was, 94, but all the time, same time, grief does seep in. Around that time, my company, where I worked for 27 years, had made some big changes, and in the process, I was offered a package and I was let go. Like he said last week, where's God in all this? Even though I knew my dad was a new creature in heaven, I missed him. And the loss of a job and living in the city is scary. I felt alone, I felt angry, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, and my faith got a little shaky. At the same time, I began to have health issues. I went into the hospital three times last year with illnesses that were mostly due to stress and anxieties over a long period. Through all this, I had the nagging feeling that God was trying to reach me to tell me that he loved me and I needed to stay close and, for heaven's sakes, get back on track. But I was stubborn and willful. And I kept telling God what I wanted, but at the same time, I knew many people were praying for me. After a while, when I got back home, my brother John, who was a pastor, called me and his wife Beth, and they invited me to stay in their home in Pensacola for a while to get some rest and perspective. I took that trip, and it was God who made it happen because they were all praying for me. Uh, Boy, is it quiet in Florida. I had lots of quiet moments to think. God was speaking to me there, and I realized that through the witness of my brother and his wife and my 93-year-old mother, that I needed to give up the fight and tell him that I would be his good child again. I live in this world, and things get difficult, but I I know that praising God in good and bad times will bring me through. And as Christians in the world, we need to be salt and light to those around us. By the way, God has healed my health issues, and I'm once again healthy in body and soul. My name is Bob Dubois, and I'm all in. (laughs) Thank you. This morning, our scripture reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will be drawn together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the, Lord will be fi- for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The word of the Lord.
1: Don't you love Bob Dubois? Thanks, Bob. That's awesome. So uh, as Lisa and James have mentioned already, we're in this series called All In, and we're talking about the power of commitments in our life and, and how commitments actually do um, give life to life. And so this morning, we're going to carry on a, our theme from last week where we were talking about the, the power of commitments in relationships. And it's going to take us in a little different direction. But to get, to get us started, I would like for you to get in um, small conversation groups. And if you're visiting this morning, we're thrilled that you're here. And often we kind of start out the message this way. I'd like for you to, to get in groups of three or four, introduce yourself. And then I want you to answer this question. Without naming names... Okay, that's very important. Without naming names, what is one thing that's at the top of your mind that's wrong with our country? No names. All right? What is one thing that really comes to your mind that's wrong with our country? All right? So you have permission to gripe in church. All right? So turn, and introduce yourself, and you got about 90 seconds to do this. All right. So again, no names. What what did you talk about? What what are some of the things that you feel like are wrong? Fear? Selfishness. Selfishness. Sorry. Divisiveness. Turned our back on God. So there's a, there's a lot of division in our country right now. And there's a lot of opinions and, and points of view on what's going on. And, you know, on Friday we inaugurated our new president. On Saturday there were marches in protest of that all across our country. And I'm not, I'm not saying that protesting is necessarily wrong, but, but unless it's done with wisdom, it can be divisive. And so as we're in this, this season of, of turmoil, I thought that it would be good for us to spend some time looking at what the scriptures have to say about, um, about some of this stuff. Now, um, a long time ago, there were these guys called prophets. And they had a unique role in the, the nation of Israel. They, God, God would give them his word for the nation, and they would proclaim the word of the Lord to the nation. And they would tell them what the world was supposed to look like. This is God's will for humanity. And humanity was held accountable to that word, what God had for them. And so the prophet Isaiah that that Bob read from in in chapter 11, the first five verses of that text talk about this leader who would come from the lineage of Jesse. Um, Who remembers who Jesse is? Jesse is um, David's father. Um, And, of course, King David then was, that's the line of Jesus. And so Isaiah is saying that there's there's going to be a leader who comes from this lineage, who is um, who who rules, and he he leads with uh, with justice and righteousness and faithfulness and and he's not gonna he's not gonna lead naturally. He's gonna lead supernaturally. And then Isaiah begins to talk about what peace, what the peace of God on earth looks like. What the shalom of God is supposed to look like. And he says in verse six six through nine, he says, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy. On all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think God would say there is, there is a way that, that the world is supposed to look. There is a way that the world is supposed to work. And I want you to look around and I want you to, to take note of what's wrong. Because it's not as it should be. I think God would ask us to name a few things that are wrong. Violence is wrong. Violence is just wrong. Over the last number of months, we've had police officers shoot innocent people. We've had, um, we've had people kill police officers. We had a guy go into a a club in Orlando and shoot people just because they're gay, or so he thought. We had another guy go into a church in Charleston and gun down people because they were African-American and they just happened to be having a Bible study. Friends, violence is wrong. It's just wrong. Hatred is wrong. Injustice is wrong. Racism is wrong. For love to not predominate in human affairs is wrong. And for me to put my head in the sand and just be concerned about my little life, that's wrong too. And it's wrong not not just because it creates tension. You see, biblically there's a difference between the absence of tension and peace. See, sometimes the shalom of God brings tension because the shalom of God is about God's will being done on earth. And so it's not, peace is not the absence of tension. Peace is about the presence of God's will. So these things are wrong because they violate God's will for the human race for for how we are to treat one another. Now, I don't want to minimize the complexity of the problems that we face or the work that needs to be done. In fact, part of what makes it so complex is that what's wrong just isn't out there someplace. See, what's wrong is also in here. It was the uh, Soviet dissident, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Guys, we're, we're a Jesus church. We always look to the person, the teaching, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is our guide, as he is elsewhere. And when Jesus was alive, there was tremendous tension and conflict in his day um, around ethnicity and and oppression and justice, and particularly between Israel and Rome. And I think it's worth considering that that Jesus appreciates this certainly better than I do, because when he was a little boy, there was a ruler named Herod that was so fearful and threatened that he, he sent out a decree to kill all of these Jewish boys, two years old and younger, which forced Jesus and his family to, to leave their nation, to leave their home and become immigrants in another land. And Jesus understood oppression because when he grew up, he was falsely accused, arrested, and then executed by Romans. See, he got it. But here's what what Jesus did. Because of this tension between Rome and Israel, there was this group of, of Jews called Zealots. And they were about the violent overthrow of Roman government. That because, because of all the oppression, because of the killing, because of the injustice, we're going to overthrow this government. And there were, there were these zealots. And so you know what Jesus did? He chose one of those zealots to be one of his 12 guys. Remember his name? Simon. Simon was a zealot. And Jesus said, I want you to follow me. And then, so that's on the one hand. On the other hand, Jesus is doing his ministry one day, and and a guy comes to him and asks for help. And it just so happened that the guy who was asking for help was a a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion. And Roman soldiers were hated in Israel because they, they represented the other side. And so there was this division between Jews and Romans and Roman soldiers. And, and, but this Roman soldier just happens to come and ask Jesus for help. And you know what Jesus says? I'll help you. Absolutely. See, Jesus didn't choose a side. And what's also significant to know is that there was this, this community called the Essenes in that t- time that the Essenes said, we don't want any part of what's going on. And so they became this little religious enclave down by the Dead Sea where they just kind of withdrew. And they said, you can have your protests. You can, you know, let somebody else figure it out. Because we just want our nice little lives. We want to raise our nice little kids. We want our nice little careers. We don't want to get involved. And this is where the genius of Jesus of Nazareth shows up. Because Jesus didn't say, I choose zealots, and I'm going to regard Romans as my enemies. Jesus didn't say, I choose Romans, and I'll regard zealots as my enemies, nor did Jesus say, I'm just going to withdraw and not get involved in any of this stuff. What Jesus did is he jumped right into the middle of the pain, right into the middle of the confusion, right into the middle of all that was going on, armed with the love of his heavenly father. Friends, that's what he calls us to do. Was that easy for Jesus to do? Think about it. On Palm Sunday, Jesus walks into Jerusalem, and all of the zealots are so excited, and they're crying out, Hosanna, on Sunday. But on Friday, those same zealots were saying, crucify him. On Sunday, Palm Sunday, Jesus comes in and, and all the crowds are, are behind him. And so what do the Romans do? The Romans say, we've got to do something about this. And on Thursday night, they arrest him. And on Friday, they hang him on a cross. You see, the, the, the two people, that Jesus, the two factions, sides that Jesus came to love and to die for were actually both against him. No, it wasn't easy for Jesus. I think God would say to us, if you're going to follow Jesus in this world, if you're going to be committed to him and the things that he's committed to, if you're going to be all in, then don't expect easy. I don't know about you, but most of the time I want easy. Most of the time, I want comfortable. I want quick solutions. I want want a problem that can be solved with a hashtag. I don't want to be troubled by hard questions that are confusing. But here's the thing. If you're looking for easy, you picked the wrong Lord. Because Jesus says things like deny yourself. Jesus says things like um, take up your cross. Jesus says things like turn the other cheek. See, Jesus does love and Jesus does hope, but Jesus doesn't do easy. See, I think God would say to us, in this season of division and turmoil, that, that we need to walk toward that and we need, to, we need to move into that. And we need to figure out how to come alongside of everyone in a way that brings unity. And I think Jesus would say to us, the place to start is you need to listen. Before you speak, before you act, before you think you know everything, just listen. You know, James James said earlier that um, we're doing this series called Gray Matters on Tuesday nights. And we did a uh, response to government a couple of weeks ago. We did um, sexual attraction and gender identification this past Tuesday. Next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about race and and racial reconciliation. what's been so uh, encouraging to me is how well we've listened because there have been some hard things that have been said and some difference of opinions and all that stuff. but we've listened really well. and And we're listening because as we listen, we learn how to better love God and better love others. And we learn how to how to move toward the issue and toward one another. And so we need to learn to listen. Um, I had lunch with a guy in my small group uh, b- before Christmas. And he's an, he's a young African-American guy and uh, well-educated, got a great job in finance. And, and in the course of our conversation, um, I just asked him, I said, so do you ever do you ever experience um, prejudice or, or, you know, discrimination? He said, yeah, all the time. And I asked him to tell me about that. And and he he gave me a few instances of of how he has recently experienced uh, discrimination. And I, I had to, I just realized, you know what, I don't think I've ever in my life been discriminated against. I don't have that story, you know why? Because I'm a white guy, sometimes glowingly white, Um, you know, and, and glowing white guys don't experience prejudice, but he does. After the shootings in Dallas this summer, we had a prayer service, and we had people from various backgrounds um, in in attendance. And we had some African Americans kind of tell their story of discrimination, and we had a Jamaican guy tell his story. And as I'm listening to the to the pain and the the devastation and the 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 loss, that all these folks experienced I was sitting there thinking I don't have that story my family will probably never have that story so I have a hard time getting that so what do we do Well, first let me say, I don't know. I really don't know what actions we need to take, but here's what I do know. If we're going to be all in and following this man, Jesus, we need to learn from him. And that means that we need to begin with silence. We need to begin by listening and grieving together and praying together and acknowledging, God, our world is a mess that's way bigger than what just human brains or some legislation can figure out. You see, we need to go to the bedrock of God's Word and of Jesus' life. You know, it struck me that when we're in a time of of crisis and, and, and... Turmoil like this, you hear a lot of you, you hear a lot of people just crying out in generalities, and they say, you know, well, we need to come together. But that raises the question: Why? Why do we need to come together? Why can't we just, you know, have my nice little life and my nice little family and my nice little career? Can't we, as a church, just have our nice little church service and our nice, sing our nice little songs and our nice little, you know, um, fellowship hour where we have cookies and stuff? Can't we just do that? Not if we're all in. Because that's not our God. That's not our Savior. That's not our gospel. You see, we are called by God to recognize and care about the common humanity and worth of every human being. We have to listen. We have to learn. We have to lament every death and struggle with every question and wrestle wrestle with racial injustice and pray for the shalom of God on this planet. Why? Because God said so. Because in Christ, as Galatians says... There is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, us versus them, the insider versus the outsider. All are one in Christ Jesus because, as Ephesians 2 tells us, he himself is our peace. And he has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Guys, Jesus died for what's wrong in our world. And he has not called us to be consumers of the good life or architects of our careers or opinionated ideologues of one political stripe or the other. He has called us to be agents of reconciliation. To listen and to work and to pray and to sacrifice until the day comes when people neither harm nor destroy on all of God's holy mountain, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And let me tell you, if the church doesn't do this, if the church doesn't listen, if the church doesn't care, if the church doesn't act, somebody else will. If love doesn't lead, hatred will. If love doesn't lead, violence will. If love doesn't lead, racism will. You see, we need to be the leaders in this. Jesus wants his church to lead. If you want to be all in, but you're not sure how to personally respond, well, I'll give you something that you can think about. This is part of a commitment card that Dr. Martin Luther King gave to people who wanted to be a part of his movement of love and justice. And they would commit to doing these steps. Number one, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Number two, remember always that we seek justice and reconciliation, not victory. Number three, walk and talk in a manner of love, for God is love. Number four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all people might be free in order that all people might be free. Number five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all people might be free. Number six, observe with both foe and friend the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Eight, refrain from violence of fist, tongue, or heart. And that was hard for me because I just like punching people, you know. Um, Then there was a place for, for people to say, I signed this pledge having seriously considered what I do with the determination and the will to persevere. In other words, I'm going all in. And maybe that's what God is calling us to in this season of unrest in our country. To to begin doing the things that made such a difference in the 60s. Let me read to you what the Apostle Paul said to the, the Christians in Corinth, and this is from 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and re- was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That is a huge, huge statement. We're not going to look at you with with the labels that you wear. We're not going to regard you from... the because of the color of your skin or the clothes that you have on or or, or the address that you have, we're not going to look at you from a worldly point of view. And he says, we used to look at Jesus that way, but we don't do that anymore. Therefore, if any was... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's our job. What I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to get in your, um, get back in the same small conversation groups that you were in and reintroduce yourself because right now somebody's saying, dang, I forgot that guy's name. Um, so reintroduce yourself so that we get rid of all that uneasiness, awkwardness. And I want you to, I want you to answer this question. I'll give you a few minutes to, to talk this one through. Um, what is one thing that God is calling you to do this week, one thing you can do this week to be an agent of reconciliation. All right? So talk about that for a few minutes. Let me try to wrap this up for us. As we, as we prepare to come to the table... This morning, I want uh, Lisa and Santo are going to sing over us, and as they do, we need to spend some time in, in in reflection, in confession, in repentance, because there is evil in all of our hearts. And all of us contribute to the you know the turmoil that is in our country in some way or another, and maybe we contribute to it by, because we stick our head in the sand and don't do anything. But at the end of the day, we need to come to the Lord and we need to, to ask the Lord God is my heart characterized by love? And Lord, if it's not characterized by love, what what are things that I can be doing to to be more reflective of your love in our world? Because friends, the wrongs of our world are not going to be made right unless we live for what Jesus died for And so let's just spend some time in quiet confession and repentance over those things, asking God, show me my heart and help my heart be more like yours.